I didn't have any water in my bong. Oh my god! Oh, I was Jesus. trying to light this, and I was like, "Why is it not?" Let me. Uh, you could fake it for the. Let me do something a little bit janky here. Let me take a water bottle. Are you pouring Fiji, Fiji water? Oh, I wish. I wish I was drain gang. Just reminds me of this. I did have this phase in like 2014 when I was also drinking a lot of Arizona iced tea when I would drink Fiji water. <laughs> um, you know, this cause those are the viral internet rap drinks of the moment. And mm-hmm. I remember being at a college cinema club meeting and some nerd who was like the president of the philosophy club and played the cello. He saw me drinking a Fiji water and he was like, Oh, so how long have you hated the earth? I was just like, damn, don't hate the drip. (laughs) You know, hate the spring, not the drip. Yeah, hate the aquifer. (laughs) Isn't that how that's made? (laughs) Yeah. Jesus, well. Where do you uh, beverage check? Are you drinking anything right now? For beverages, I got, you know, I got water and then I got an iced coffee, you know. Both ebony and ivory. Mm. Do you have an ice coffee? Living too? together in harmony. Yeah, I've got a little bit of a <coughs> remainder of an iced latte, but it's frankly pretty lukewarm right now. Mm. Then I've got the all-time classic, the lemon papino. That is good. Gatorade. That's it's good. so good. It's the best. It's refreshing. I had to get me one after I got my like second back shot and i was just whacked i was in my bed but i was also like six feet under so i had to get one of those there's no other flavor of gatorade that hits quite like it i find um i i don't know if i've ever used it as like a cocktail mixer but i feel like it would work well for that yeah like a like a spritzer kind of thing or like you mix it with some carbonated water you could even just, and you could put a shot in there, or you could just go straight to like a white claw. I feel like that could be good with it too. Mm, yeah, some a little gin, maybe yeah. or something. You know, a little hot box the the cocktail yeah. bar. Tequila would probably work with it too. It's got that yeah. lime and cucumber kind of vibe. Rum. Mm-hmm. You can make a little limon pepino mojito. Yeah, for all those fiends out there. 
oh god for mm-hmm. all of those who have vices um yeah, but uh for the hot box this time if you want to just hop right into that yeah um we are here we're back i know we've been putting the episodes out a little bit more regularly more frequently yeah now our Gita episode is the second most listened episode of all time of Hot Box of Cinema. It's the bump. The real bump. We got that. Yeah. Got that blue check bump. So just want to thank, uh, you know, everybody who's been listening, checking that out. Mm-hmm. Um, checking out the Die Hard episode that we just released as well. Um, you know, thank you for being stuck in a building with us for so many episodes now mm-hmm. and a time when everyone's leaving buildings exactly you've chosen to remain inside with us mm-hmm. for just a little bit longer uh, it means a lot so yeah we're here and i guess we should unbox I don't have exactly like a one thing really to talk about this time, but one thing that I feel like kind of applies to the podcast a little bit is that I've been just like downsizing the amount of like media I've amassed over the years, just cause mm-hmm. like I used to buy a bunch of video games and now I'm just like, I don't, I don't play these. Most of them were like, you know, bargain bin stuff or just, I don't know. It's also in the past, like I used to write more frequently. So I'd be like, I'll play this and I can write about it sometime. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. That's so real. Like, I don't know. I mean, I, it's not so much anymore, but definitely at one time, you know, in my teen years in college, like going to media stores of various types, like whether it was record stores or just like used DVD bargain bin type stores, used media stores. Um, you know, that was like a lot of like hanging out during certain periods of time, you know, growing up in Texas and Tennessee and like not always having like a ton of things to do or at least things that are sort of aligned with like some of our interests. Yeah. So I know we've both spent a lot of time just like picking through bins and being like, Oh, here's this wacky thing. That's like a dollar. And you know, you watch it maybe, or you don't watch it or you play it for five minutes or you don't play it. Um, and just kind of sits there and, you know, and I think it's for me too, like a lot of my taste over the years has been very, you know, trying to reclaim things or like looking for hidden gems or like what movie was maligned, but is secretly good. And so the, those kind of spaces were always really good for finding those things because I could find cheap movies that nobody else wanted. Yeah. And like just amass a collection. And so I've been kind of in the same place of just like paring down DVDs and Blu-rays and um, records to just like all of this stuff where it's just like objects, just media yeah. objects. Well, it's really weird, especially cause like, I don't know. I don't really have like any movies or really any physical music. I just like the only real thing I have like physically is like books and then video games, but it's just cause my brain is so big, I guess is what I'm saying. That's what that sounds like, but <laughs> but with like video games, especially, it's like just I don't know. The last year has just kind of been like weird for I don't know. I feel like I've kind of like disconnected from like some of like that like game culture just because like so much of it is like mm-hmm. 
I'm not trying to say like things like changed or whatever. Part of it's just me growing up, I guess. But also part of it is like just the way like collecting and stuff works now is like really bizarre. Specifically, I guess what I'm talking about is like there are games that I got for like not that like a couple bucks on a bargain bin and I knew mm-hmm. it was like not going to be good when I got it. <laughs> and like now it's like a $60 like posting on eBay. I'm not saying it's selling for that much. I'm mm-hmm. just saying somebody put it up that much. Just right. That's like one of those things. And I, it's just like, I don't know. It's been really weird. Cause I'm just like, why is this like a valuable thing? I don't know. The, it's just like weird. Cause now I'm realizing just like the value of like, collecting that stuff in the past and the value you assign to it versus like when you're trying to get rid of it, it's, you know, it's a buyer's market and you know, not everybody thinks like you do or like, yeah you know, like looks for those like same things that I was like, yeah, I'll buy this, you know, Rambo arcade game port that like plays really poorly on a controller. Yeah. It's one of those things where there's like, you know, I don't, I, I see people on Twitter sometimes who, Maybe they don't even necessarily don't believe in piracy, but they're just like, they don't do it. You know, maybe they're nervous about it or just don't know how or whatever. Um, And they'll like buy used DVDs constantly. And like, that's, I don't, you know, I, it's fine. Like, it's totally fine to have physical media, but I guess for me, I've realized there was definitely a point in time where it's like, oh yeah, you know, if I like a movie, I'll buy it. Sure. Like I'm interested in seeing it. I'll buy it. But I've just realized over time, I think sometimes people have this idea in their heads that it's like still somehow like morally better to buy or or more ethical to buy a used DVD or like rent a DVD from the library than to torrent. And it's like, babe, no, like, yeah, this is not like a vintage leather jacket that's vegan because it's vintage or whatever. It's not the same thing. This is an object now. It's not the movie. Like, it's not the game anymore. It's a physical object, and the only person making money from it is the person selling it. Like, there's no proceeds or profits or points, like, going to the artist. You're not supporting anybody other than, like, these, like, tertiary leech markets, basically, of of used media. And it's like, I love those places, and I, you know, I'm glad that, like, there are ways to, to acquire things still but it's definitely sometimes it's just it is kind of blatantly ridiculous that just collectors markets of various kinds from pokemon cards to games so recently you know i've been getting in quite deep into like wrestling memorabilia and stuff and just sometimes the like it's like you know there's kind of like artificial scarcity sometimes or like prices get sort of jacked up for no reason or like You'll watch, you know, I'll, you know, I keep my eyes out there sometimes for like certain rare, you know, like a Ray, a Rey Mysterio, like Batman costume action figure or something just random, you know, and it's like, oh, I see it's really expensive. You know, I'm not going to buy it. I'm going to keep waiting and see if it gets posted again of it because eventually, you know, most things do get kind of listed again if they're mass produced to some degree. Um, and you just see sometimes like. You know, sometimes there will only be a couple of one thing available and it's all really expensive and they get bought. And then a little bit later, a bunch more will surface and they'll be way cheaper. And it's just kind of like, I don't know, sometimes it just feels like a little bit of a scam where like things can become, the prices can become inflated just because of like 
these sort of arbitrary reasons a little bit of mm-hmm. like why these things have become important to collectors or sought after. Um, and that's something I don't know. I've, I mean, I mean, I think it's definitely music is a little bit its own thing, but it's definitely true too. Where like, I guess an example I think of is like the rapper Milo who I was really, really into for many years. And like, I was an early fan, not to like, be a hipster but you know i got all these like early cassette tapes of his and eventually those cassette tapes you know like they were limited pressings and they became pretty expensive and worth a lot on discogs at a certain point it's like you know i didn't listen to cassette tapes so i sold them for like a pretty penny compared to what i paid originally for tapes (laughs) um and made some money off of them um but somewhat recently, like within the last year, um, there was a New York Times article that Milo was in, and there was some controversy online because he printed and uh, you know pressed an LP, and I think sold it for like a hundred dollars or something. And people are like, "This is insane! This is like really expensive." And I mean, there have been similar things in the past of like Nipsey Hussle or different rappers selling like exclusive runs of a mixtape for a really expensive price, or and like people that, would buy it. That- that like Wu-Tang album that there's only one made kind of thing, you know? Yeah. And you know, in some of the situations people will buy it because they're just like, Oh, I really want to support this artist. Or this is somebody who's primarily made their living off of like, or made their name off of free mixtapes. Now I have the chance to really pay them back for giving me music for free. So I want to do that, you know, which is, it's, it's good that there are fans like that. Um, but it's also like part of his reasoning for putting out a record for really expensive was like, you know, my records have become rare and have become valuable, but in a way where it does not benefit me. It's like, it's just the market of sellers mm-hmm. who are, you know, over time, the prices just get higher and higher. And he, you know, he doesn't benefit from that at all. Um, and does not, you know, the artists who sold those tapes for $10 a pop initially, now they're like a hundred dollars. Um, and, and it's just one of those things where it's just like, it's, it's a little wild. I mean, I don't know a ton about this, but I know there's been a lot of controversy recently, like kind of on TikTok and stuff with like Depop vintage sellers and like mm-hmm. upcyclers and things like that. And oh, people yeah. Sort or, of, or people who like go out of their way to different like regional Goodwills were like, yeah, know, probably going to like, you know, lower income areas and getting like workwear and things like that out of a Goodwill there. You know, it's something that I think can totally be done right. I understand why people maybe do it, but it's, you know, they'll, you know, make new clothes from stuff that they get at like a vintage store and then sell it for a lot of money. Um, And it's just, I don't know, it just gets into complicated territory, especially because with those people like invested in certain kinds of fashion, it's very much about sustainability and ethics. And I think sometimes with physical media, people think the same thing where they're like, we need to protect physical media, defend physical media. So therefore it's like reasonable for me to own like a hundred full screen DVDs of movies from 1995 to 2006. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I'm like here, there on it. I like, you know, I still like to buy like some new games like physically and stuff like that. Like it's nice to have stuff on like the shelf, but honestly, like part of what's making me like sell all these Mm -hmm. like video games that i have is like i just like stared at them for the last year and i didn't play them once you know yeah it's it's very real i mean with stuff like that with media it's like you know i've bought these action figures recently and they're like up on my wall and it's like i mean in some ways i feel like i almost can justify that a little bit more because it's like 
this aesthetic thing that I'm looking at and I can just look at it whenever. Yeah. Uh, but with a movie or a game or a book, it's like you have to, I mean, yeah, maybe it looks cool on your shelf and there can be part of that. Yeah. I mean, so- sometimes that's like the way that it can, can end up working, you know, it's like yeah, conversation but, pieces and stuff. Yeah, exactly. But most of the time it's just like, it. yeah, it doesn't feel worth it to me because it's this object that its meaning is gained from like, interacting with it and if you're not actively interacting with it it really doesn't have much value and i also sometimes think about like i don't know this is kind of dark but like i don't know like a future of like climate disaster and limited uh, like electricity access and stuff and i'm just like it is kind of crazy sometimes that we have all of these types of media that are like very dependent upon other objects and have like no real inherent you know like a dvd doesn't have like an inherent value in the way itself that like a book does where the meaning is like immediately accessible um Mm -hmm. you have to like translate it and interpret it through this machine that requires electricity and i don't know i just think it's just interesting and it's just think interesting to think about like that those levels of mediation of like how much does it take to extract the meaning and the value from this object (laughs) Yeah. I mean, obviously we're not saying like it's bad to like buy stuff that you like. No. That's that's not true. Or it's true that you should, you know, buy stuff that you like if you want to. But I mean, it just comes down to like the meaning that it gives you. Yeah, um, it's just yeah, I think it's just interesting to think about some of the like just why we amass things. I mean, maybe you know, I'm you know, a lot of this is is specific to us and don't want to <laughs> speak to other people's experience but it is just kind of like why why do you get things yeah I don't. totally but you know video games are still fun yeah it's <laughs> true it is true and i find that i uh, you know if you sometimes you make space you downsize and then you just replace it with other things well yeah that's the thing is that you know i may get rid of like some video games but i'll probably replace it with whatever the thing is that i like get into next whether it's like more just like some real deep rabbit hole yeah no i mean i've definitely felt even like i mean clothing is a kind of media fashion is a kind of media Mm -hmm. and felt like you know sometimes like i've gotten less into buying movies or whatever and more into buying clothes or other stuff so there's all kinds of i don't know ways of interacting with the material world yeah quite literal unboxing segment yeah and it's uh it all kind of goes into just like you know crafting your life crafting what you look at how you're looked at all that stuff um is something that kind of goes into just whatever stuff that you Mm -hmm. choose to to amass a bunch of beyond just like food shelter like water yeah the the hierarchy of needs more like the hierarchy of weed oh yeah and then beyond that but maybe that's what i'll replace these with i'll just start getting a bunch of luxury bongs yeah just get a just get glass uh-huh i'll get like get some, off the plastic get like my grandmother's china cabinet and fill it with my uh um uh, i'm trying to think of something really hilarious mario and and Homer Simpson pieces. Exactly, yeah. Every time I... There's this bodega near my house, and they have these, like, Bart Simpson backwoods rolling trays in the window. Yeah. But when you walk into the store, 
it's like there's a bunch of like shit in front of it. So you can't see the backwards rolling trays inside the store. So you would really, if you wanted to buy it, you'd really have to be like, hey, could I get the Bart Simpson backwards rolling tray that is right there behind all the Febreze bottles? And you really have to like put effort in to get yeah. that dumb looking thing. That's like straight up shopping from the window. I have I have wanted that so bad, but I just cannot bring myself to get over the embarrassment. Of. If you hand them the phone, I'll tell them that. <laughs> or you could like write them a note and just like say, I'd just give them the the note that you wrote on your phone or something. Yeah. But you should get that. Yeah, I need it. I mean, I'm surprised I don't have any Simpsons pieces because I mean, that's such a whole industry, subgenre, cottage industry. Yeah, that's like one of the things that like people get into is the Simpsons. Yeah, that's just a go-to. I mean, now it's Rick and Morty. Everything's a Rick and Morty piece. I was in the bodega the other day. They had Rick and Morty dab lighters, blow t- little blow torches. It's too far gone. I've wanted one of those like kind of like stupid like deep fried like character like trays mm-hmm. or something for a little while. But like, unfortunately, once you leave those coastal elite cities, most of the characters you get are just Rick and Morty on everything. And I'm like, no, I want like I want Mario and Yoshi. I want you know, give me something here. You know, Jay and Silent Bob. <laughs> oh, yeah. I want. Apparently, um, there's like a Kevin Smith, like, I don't know if it's his, like production office, but somewhere in Brooklyn, I've seen friends posting pictures of where they have like all these costumes in the window from Kevin Smith movies, but also they have like the tu- like the walrus from Tusk, like in the window. The first damn. movie ever adapted from a podcast. <laughs> Maybe we'll have the second. Maybe we will. Yeah, we can. Actually, I guess there was the the Red Scare movie. So that's... Is that... How related is that to the podcast? I mean, you got... Uh, Anna has a little cameo as Gis- Gislaine Maxwell. Oh, well, they're... J- oh, I didn't know actually the movie was about that. Never mind. This makes sense. Yeah, it's about, it's about I, Epstein. I thought it was just Dasha creatively expressing in a new way. I didn't know it was... I mean, it is, but it's it's about it's about girls who live in an apartment haunted by the spirit of Epstein's victims, and they get obsessed with it. They get pilled, as it were. I mean, haunting is the original pilling when you think about it. Being possessed by a mm-hmm. demon or a ghost. Yeah. <laughs> and then instead of like a priest, they bring like a what a a baser. <laughs> Somebody to get them based. They just, they just, <laughs> they just bring a poster. Yeah, they just bring they, somebody extremely online. They just bring Lil B. <laughs> He'd be the one. Anyway. Yeah, unbased. Unboxed. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're ready, I, we could shift gears into the topic for today. Mm-hmm. That brings us together. That brings the family together. Yeah. I'm talking about Fast 9, which the title is just F9. <laughs> f9 ftw mm-hmm. um i mean the family that that uh drives together thrives together i guess mm-hmm. the triumphant return of movies oh yeah the movie that they delayed because they were like yeah. this this is this must be seen on the big screen 
I just want to say I want to apologize to everybody for jinxing the year 2020 because at the end of 2019, I was asked by the Nashville scene to contribute to their like year end poll, which is instead of just like, a, I mean, you submit like a top 10 list, but they also have like questions that you can answer just about like your feelings about the year in movies and kind of beyond that a little bit too. Um, and one of the questions, the last question was like, what are you most looking forward to in 2020? And my fucking dumbass had to go and say, I'm most looking forward to voting for Bernie Sanders as president and seeing Fast 9 in theaters. And I didn't get to do either of those things in 2020. Um, but I honestly, I'm, I think it was a good call that they mm-hmm. delayed Fast 9. Yeah, because I don't think we were ready for it at that point. I don't think we were ready. The culture was not ready. Yeah, I mean, you we saw how people society, reacted to Tenet. They weren't ready. Yeah. um, And I mean, it's also, it's just like, what better way to like be brought back, to be welcomed back with the open, loving arms Mm -hmm. of Vin Diesel, a glass, a cold glass of milk in the, you know, on the finish line, Mm -hmm. the winner's circle. Yeah. So this was not your first time back at the movies, though. This was my first time back. No, I'd, I'd been... A few times. This is my, f- I'd like just been to this like one kind of like smaller theater here, but this is my first time back at like the Cineplex, you know? The big screen, baby. The multiplex. What we do it for. Yeah. Well, so what was it? What was it like to be back for you? Movies had been playing for a little bit, and I definitely knew, you know, people here in New York who had already seen things. But I just felt, in terms of new releases, there was definitely not really anything I wanted to see. In terms of repertory stuff, it's still mostly been, like, the greatest hits of cinema and, like, yeah, just the like movies, we, baby. We love movies. Please come back. Which I get. You know, you want to see 2001. You want to see your Hitchcocks, whatever. But Okay, but an 11 film Fellini retrospective. Yeah. I don't really want to spend 20 bucks to hear old people crinkle their bags again. Like while watching a digital project projection of like rear window, it's like I, I will return when there are more prints and more kind of rare event things. Cause like that's, you know, I have the opportunity to take advantage of that in New York. And that's generally what I like to go for when I go out to see, rep stuff and i just felt like with new movies and just with anything kind of i was probably going to be like not as engaged as i would with something like fast nine so i would probably be like distracted or like more anxious or on edge and just thinking about the other people in the audience yeah on their you know their behavior my behavior what's going on around me i mean it was definitely different it was definitely it was wild i mean because it was the multiplex you know i went to the amc in Times square and it was just back to it you know long ass concession line this fucking real ass like new york bro in front of me with this group of like five people and he was trying to order from all of them and somehow he was taking up like two cash registers uh and he kept just being like you want a hot dog you want a hot dog okay hot dogs for everybody okay what about nachos we want nachos and the the ladies like the nachos are going to take forever like you sure you want nachos he's like not nachos for everybody everybody wants nachos okay what about drinks what about ices like he's just getting stuff for everybody and i was like okay i wish you were my friend but unfortunately you're standing right in front of where my car needs to go and i'm trying to get back to the show um so i you know get my icy got my sour patch kids it's a good time it's a great time saw a little bit of the jurassic world pre-show 
which I didn't even know there was a new Jurassic World movie coming out. I didn't either. I mean, I guess I got to go see it. That last one I was a big fan of, but... Also, it was kind of funny because it was like, welcome back to the movies. Here's footage of a movie from a movie of a drive-in movie theater being destroyed by a dinosaur. Fuck you. <laughs> like Jesus. You know, it's like in Twister when there's like the shining playing at a drive-in and they and the shining gets destroyed. Um which I Damn. also forgot to mention just while I'm mentioning Jan DeBont Twister, I forgot to mention on the Die Hard episode that in Speed 2 there's a scene where Lolita is playing on the TV and like Sandra Bullock's cruise ship hotel room. Which I'm just like Jan DeBont and a hit and Kubrick weird connection, yeah. but also very mechanical filmmakers. And I mean that ties in because Fast Nine, mechanical cinema. Yeah, it's a big technological. Machine. How how about for you though? How was uh, how was the multiplex being back at the multiplex specifically, as opposed to the art house? It was pretty good. It was funny because I was like walking, uh, the person I was going with, and we were seeing the movie, or we were walking to the auditorium where the movie was playing. And there was like an anniversary screening of the Birdcage. Pride Month, baby. Yeah, I was like Fast Nine, the Birdcage. <laughs> Great family movies. Yeah, absolutely. Um, oh my honestly, god! Can you imagine the, the one remark I really have about the multiplex? Wait, you have a joke? I just want to say, can you imagine Nathan Lane in Fast and Furious? Yeah, I, I, would, can, I need to see this now. I feel like he would be like. Uh, like Kurt Russell's like pesky government handler kind of guy. That's exactly what I was thinking. Like he's a just put upon suit who's just exasperated, and he's like, "You're wrecking, you're, you're wrecking the cars." Yeah, I can't exactly. do a Nathan Lane thinking voice, about but the he's cost just like, of everything. Oh. Yeah, it's essentially in the 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 last movie in the franchise that came out, uh, which was the Hobbs and Shaw kind of spinoff thing about the Rock and Jason Statham's characters. It was like a Fast and Furious presents. Type yeah. of, it's just very Didn't bizarre. Didn't even see it in theaters. Watch it on HBO. I mean, I wish I could have just like not seen it. I'll be honest. Yeah. Yeah. But same. Ryan Reynolds in that is like kind of the character I imagine Nathan Lane to be. <laughs> Are you saying that Nathan Lane is the queer Ryan Reynolds? <laughs> let's just swap them out let's just christopher Plummer, yeah. nathan lane and every ryan reynolds movie i mean nathan lane and deadpool nathan lane and free Hitman, guy hitman's bodyguard's wife <gasps> oh god that would be something the only real remark i have about the multiplex the only thing to write home about is that the lights stayed on for like the first five minutes of the movie till somebody went and said something oh that's just classic i know and i was just like i mean i was watching the movie but i was still just like waiting on somebody else to get more annoyed than me that's the realest the, shit i mean because there are a bunch I'm of families there there are a bunch of dads i was like one of these guys is going to get just like turned up about this you know, it was kind of wild to me. I mean, not to like bitch about movie theater behavior, but I was just like, damn, you know, we're really back to the movies. You know, I'm sure some of these people have already been to stuff, but, you know, this is a big movie like Friday night. And just you just got people immediately going back to playing games on their phones during a film like and not caring yeah. and not watching at all. And I mean, I guess, you know, people are like their kids are dragging them to it or their boyfriend or whoever, or whatever, you know, they don't want to go or whatever, but it's just like, damn, just nature's healing. We're just all back to not paying attention. Yeah, I know. 
Well, it was interesting though that you say that because the other theater that I've been to is kind of the smaller one where it's like, you know, kind of more serious about cell phone usage during the movie and stuff. And they kind of like police that a little bit, mm-hmm. but also like the movies I'd gone to see there, I was kind of just like, mm. maybe, yeah. maybe would have liked watching that at home instead of going in this built, doing this whole thing, driving across town. It's like, you know, yeah, that was kind of my thing. It was just like, it just doesn't really feel worth it yet. I'm going to be distracted. Um, and so I need the spec. I mean, need both a movie that I'm really excited for, but just something that is uh, pure, unabashed spectacle. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, I think part of me, I was definitely nervous because I felt like Fate of the Furious, you know, I enjoyed the experience of seeing it. But then just sort of like over time, seeing it again, thinking about it, it just got worse and worse in my mind. And so I was nervous, you know, oh, like, will this one be a similar experience of like, I'm just so excited to like be back at the movies, see a movie like this, that I'll like overrate it or just sort of be too. And I mean, I haven't seen it again, so I can't speak to that exactly, but I do feel like it is genuinely a uh, return to form or or getting back i think to or at least like you know it still has like it's not something that's like trying to like retcanon or like erase fate of the furious you know like Charlize theron who is the villain and fate of the furious is in this a little bit and it's definitely got a lot of those same like almost superhero sort of just like ridiculous techno technological gadgets surveillance stuff that became much more of a thing in in furious seven and and fate but, like, I think what it is is, like, I mean, I really like Furious 7, but 8, I don't feel like I remember a lot of specifics of, like, the action no. anymore or even anything. I mean, a lot of the, the plots of these movies are very jumbled and nonsensical to begin yeah. with, but I just can't recall a lot of distinct moments from that. Whereas this movie, I definitively can, and I just feel like, I feel like they they took it to a new level of what the franchise has done, but while also like still being despite some people's criticisms, I think very true to the core of it and true to like a kind of ramshackle, like janky, like homespun, like in your garage kind of flavor that the series has. Yeah. Well, so, I mean, I guess like when you say like what the franchise does and stuff like that, I guess like specifically this movie kind of like, I guess compared to the previous ones, it's much more about like character relationships than like the kind of like international government, like intrigue Mm -hmm. and like just kind of political kind of like spy thriller stuff that had started to fill in a lot of these movies. And this one is like very interested. There's like flashbacks to introduce a new character. And essentially the whole movie is kind of around like working in John Cena's character and completely like massaging him from like villain to ally by the Mm -hmm. end of it and just getting people to like like him so they do that with a lot of flashbacks a lot of kind of like storytelling like that and just like a an intense focus on like character moments that i feel like the previous ones like did not have at all yeah like i feel like or i guess the more recent ones is what i mean no yeah i mean i feel like eight didn't really have that because it just felt like sort of 
it was really struggling to find its kind of like core again or, or find a sort of compass compass and like the wake of, of Paul Walker's passing because it is that relationship between Paul Walker and Vin Diesel that has been so central to this series. I mean, it's, you know, it's about family, but just rewatching most of the movies recently, I was sort of struck by, you know, like the first movie, you know, you have this sort of existing family that Paul Walker drops in on and then it sort of all falls apart and gets shattered. And so the fourth one is like, everybody's isolated and alienated. You know, Michelle Rodriguez has died. Vin Diesel's on the run. Brian's back in the FBI. Mia, you know, Dom's sisters by herself off doing her thing. And then, and so you, you have like this first kind of like family dinner again, that's just Dom and Brian and Mia. And they're like in this like shitty apartment, but you know, this, the sentiments are the same. And then the movie slowly, it's like, it's this core expanding and like adding more people to the family, both new characters, but bringing people back from previous movies from, I mean, from all of the movies, you know, they worked in. Uh, Tej and Roman from Too Fast, you know, Tyrese and Ludacris and, and Han from Tokyo Drift. I mean, literally rewriting the timeline and temporality of the series to like bring back Han and account for him. Um, and bring back Lucas Black also from Tokyo Drift and now yeah. in F9, bring back Bow Wow, which is amazing. But it felt like with Paul Walker, you know, dying in real life, they both have to be like, how do we explain that? away in the movies you know his absence without making it like narratively telegraphed or or maybe disrespectful i don't know you know to like literally kill him off in the movies i think would be kind of insensitive but you know they had like scott eastwood show up in a little bit of f8 uh and it felt like Mm -hmm. they were kind of trying to replace paul walker with just another white guy um yeah white guy with stubble yeah, and he does not return in this one. And John Cena is obviously, you know, kind of now I the replacement, I guess, for Paul Walker. But it feels like they've sort of tried to pull back a little bit. And it's less now about, like, really expanding the family and sort of, like, more, like, strengthening it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and this one also. I mean, there's, like, failed to mention another cameo with uh, Cardi B in this movie my god that felt like uncanny valley i was like wait is this like really happening like what the fuck she understood the assignment to me but also uh this brings up another pop star you know popular musician cameo in the past being iggy azalea and rita ora too uh in the six one another one that i was like kind of upset isn't return is Devin aoki from the second movie i know yeah i mean she had that great drip yeah, some good outfits. Showed us at the beginning. And also, too, I mean, I guess she had a cameo in Fast Five, and she's, like, retired now, but I'm like, damn, bring back Ava Mendez, too. True. I feel like Too Fast gets a little bit forgotten. To me, it's it's very fun. John Singleton, people try to write him out. Yeah, I mean, John Singleton, it's, it's really interesting. Uh, I mean, obviously, he's a better director than, like, Rob Cohen, who did the first one. And... I don't know. That one's interesting because, you know, it doesn't have Vin Diesel. So it's sort of a spinoff kind of in its own universe. And I feel like you really have sort of like two fast and furious fan types. Like you have the people who like think that Tokyo Drift is the best one. And you have people who think that Tokyo Drift is like the worst one since it's 
so separated and just very much about like racing culture in a way the other ones aren't. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel like just because of that, like, I don't know, too fast, too furious gets forgotten a little bit as its own thing. That is like the first one, but I don't know. I rewatching that one. It's like both. It's really colorful, really fun, great soundtrack. I mean, Ludacris and Tyrese are great, mm-hmm. but it's also really interesting thinking about it because just like, you know, I've seen people talking about the evolution of the movie's relationship to like cops and government and the military and stuff. And the first couple ones, you know, they're just like they really hate cops. And sort of the whole tension is about like kind of Brian hating himself a little bit for being a cop. Yeah. And like Tyrese is his like childhood best friend who got arrested and like had didn't want anything to do with Brian for becoming a cop. And so then you sort of learn that like part of the reason why Brian like let Dom go in the first movie is because he feels this guilt about like being a cop and about not being able to like help out his friend who is incarcerated. Um, and so it gives it this kind of like emotional grounding that I had sort of forgotten about in addition to just all the aesthetic pleasures. Um, and I just like how as a sequel, it sort of deepens some of the, the feelings and the relationships of the first one. And so I like, I just like how, you know, Tyrese has been just very central to the series um, for that reason. Cause I feel like he really helped deepen the emotional core of the series. Uh, and as weird as it may kind of sound, cause he's like comic relief so much, but in F9, he does sort of, you know, he brings up these very sort of like wink, wink questions of like, how do we do these things? How do we survive? How do we make it out alive of these ridiculous situations time and time again? Like, are we, you know, superheroes? Are we like supernaturally gifted in some way? And the movie's obviously fucking with you and the other characters are fucking with Tyrese, yeah. but it is, you know, obviously sort of pointing out how the movies have just grown more and more sort of slip the surly bonds of earth defy physics and gravity and all these things and but it's sort of by having a character sort of point that out it does give it it's almost like he's like the greek chorus a little bit just sort of like yeah it definitely felt like a really like interactive moment when i was watching it where i was like i mean i'm glad one of them realizes this because up to this point, it's just, it very much feels just like you're the only one who, like, thinks about that as you watch it. The criticism that kind of people level against these movies is like, oh, they started as these, like, racing movies, you know, and now they've grown so big and ridiculous and absurd and globe trial, all this stuff, surveillance state, and which, you know, a lot of valuable critiques there, maybe. I think definitely those things are issues in something like Hobbs and Shaw. Um, and it gets, it definitely is no longer what Fast and Furious was at all. And I saw people leveling some of those critiques against this movie, but I just frankly really have to disagree. Since so much of the movie is told in flashbacks to Dom and Jacob growing up, you know, on the racing track, like their dad is a stock car driver who dies in an accident in a crash. And that's just like a huge part of the movie is this like, flashback coming of age melodrama like i don't know it's like rumblefish or something but with like stock car racing and i will have to say too i i don't know his name but the kid who plays young vin diesel i think they did a great job like he's not like uncanny valley like vin diesel impersonator but does have the aura and the voice and the energy down very well Mm -hmm. i think and i don't whoever he is i like feel like he will become a actor that we see more of because i i'm sure vin diesel had a huge hand in probably picking him and you know training him maybe or 
working with him. I can only imagine just, I don't know. It's just like, it, I feel like the movie really does connect to that sort of heart of racing culture. Um, and also to just like a lot of emotional stuff, but also like, it's just a movie. I realized really watching this, that all of these movies have been about this sort of tension between like material metal technology, you know, muscle and import like between sort of digital and, and analog between metal and, and, uh, sort of, you know, like electronic sort of computerized, you know, muscle cars with hard drives and, these movies have always had sort of trippy psychedelic racing scenes and like ridiculous unreal stuff. Just the nature of that has changed a little bit as movies. I mean, this series has been going on for 20 years, so it's definitely something that absorbs trends. Um, Mm -hmm. So it's just evolved. But I also think it's this movie in particular is very connected to like, it's very much about that tension. I think Mm -hmm. digital and, and whatever, whatever you want to call it. Well, you see that kind of reflected with, like, obviously, you know, I mean, cars in general, like, people think about, like, classic cars as, like, I mean, kind of old-fashioned stuff, like, being not organic, but being, like, making sense. And then electric cars, Teslas, all this stuff, like, being new. I don't know. It's weird. You kind of see this, like, dichotomy of, like where people talk about the organic versus like the synthetic or whatever, but then they apply it to cars and both of those are machines. It's the same way that people I mean with any technology really, but with movies with the sort of debate of digital versus film, it's the same thing of like people talk about film as like the natural, the real, the organic and digital as like ephemeral yeah. abstract. Um, like I think about that well, with like the star Wars prequels, you know, they're about clones and droids. They're both manufactured yeah. but kind of different ways. Well, and those I, movies are all like digital, you know, I will say film is not vegan. It does wow. use uh celluloid. I believe uses like hooves as yeah, part of I mean, like the way sense, it's made. So, I mean, fat slightly, slightly something organic there. <laughs> damn. But, I wonder. Uh, so I wonder if there are like animal rights activists speaking out against film. Well, it's. I mean, I made a joke about that thing earlier, where you know, like a leather jacket is like vegan to thrift because it's like right, not a, not a newly manufactured one kind of thing. So maybe there's a, a vegan preservationist kind of <laughs> thing going on too. But um, uh, this movie kind of brings that. Like I was talking about the dichotomy up earlier of like the the good versus the bad, the organic and synthetic. And you see it in like, just like the military setups that both sides of this conflict have were like Mm. Vin Diesel. Well, so when Tyrese gives that monologue of kind of like reflecting after they find this camp, which is in a really old missile silo and they're like underground with all these like computers that like don't really work, but the hackers have to somehow make something happen. And then they get this. I just love that ludicrous as a like genius hacker who's obsessed with like algorithms and equations Mm -hmm. and drones and all that stuff and robots yeah and then uh like the other side which has like john cena charlize theron's on there she like pilots like one of those like first person perspective like drones with like a vr helmet that shows you video of what the drone sees she's like i mean it's a mix between like military drone and recreational drone Mm -hmm. um but she kind of pilots one of those things and so you see that come up, but it's also f- one other thing that's really funny to me in this movie is that it 
he kind of adapts like some of like I feel like the movie is very self-conscious. Like there's that obvious moment we were talking about where Tyrese is like, this was kind of all ridiculous. Right. And just kind of like reflecting on the events of the movies and in a Mm -hmm. little bit of like a more sobered way, but also like the action in the movie is like, it's like obviously very like fake, but it tries to like be scientific because most of the action toward the end of the movie involves these like massive electromagnets and that it's like these electromagnets like kind of morph over the course of the movie where they come from this thing and they affect this set piece this way but then later on it gets reconfigured and you have all these cars with the electromagnets and they start like sucking cars through stores because the magnet's so powerful um Mm -hmm. or like they're like they'll have a car like drive at another one and basically like drive over the top of it and get like flipped and, and like end up spinning in the air and doing all this stuff. But instead of like saying like, Oh, well the car just ran over the other car. They like have the car drive at one and then they have the magnet repel it at the last second. So that's what makes it like shoot off the top. Like there's kind of like this like strange kind of like a little bit like video (laughs) gamey type of like thing to a lot of it where it's like, Oh, we just got this new power and now we're going to fuck with it a bunch. Um, yeah I mean I didn't expect magnets to play such a crucial role in the movie like I thought it was going to be limited maybe to like one set piece but it's there they use them so much and I mean it's it is very I think inventive uh, and 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 gives it just a new way to like manipulate reality I mean in the last one you know they had the stampede of like self-driving cars that got hacked which is one of the few set pieces that I really remember from that movie and this is something I think kind of similar of like you know, obviously somebody is programming those cars and somebody is like pressing stop and start on the magnet, but it's sort of manipulating physical reality beyond the limits of sort of just human beings. It's like Magneto from X-Men, same kind of manipulation of reality, uh, but there's this like scientific, technological, practical explanation for it. And similarly, there's this whole like, chase sequence john cena is on this like zip line flying across london and vin diesel's chasing him in his car and it looks like you know he's on a like jetpack or something Mm -hmm. but he's sort of harpooning his way across with with these zip lines that he's shooting and so it's like oh yeah it's this this you know there's an explanation for it um and i mean you know you have obviously superheroes like batman and iron man who don't have superpowers or any kind of supernatural abilities beyond their wealth and their technological know-how but they still exist in supernatural universes where there are other people with these like enhanced abilities um they just don't have them they have just money and machinery um but it's just this is existing purely in a world where it's that but you also have a lot of the like you know they bring back the whole crew from tokyo drift um and also bring back they also have this guy this new character who is actually in tokyo drift as a just like different character but he's playing as rocket scientist and he's one of the leads of um justin lynn's debut better luck tomorrow which was sort of retconned into the franchise because it features han <laughs> as a young like high schooler yeah i haven't seen that one yeah it's on it's honestly really good i mean it feels very much like sundance indie like it's very like sofia coppola shoegaze dream pop vibes but with a little bit of like i don't know like sort of larry clark like gritty teen realness and 
um, it's a little bit of reminding me of like Ernest Dickerson's juice too. you know, this like teen movie sort of like coming of age movie, but it goes wrong and like, um, all falls apart. Um, but it, you know, I don't know. It's really beautiful, honestly, in some parts, like very accomplished and, um, you know, it has a lot of similarities with Fast and Furious because it's about these guys doing petty crimes, but it just shows that like this sort of core of whatever the series is couldn't be interpreted in a lot of different ways. But anyways, they bring back Tokyo Drift and this new guy who's a rocket scientist um, by having them like, you know, they're like all living in Japan, like building rocket cars. So they go to space, which everybody, that's always been the joke for so long. Of like, oh, what are they going to do next? Go to space. Mm-hmm. And then they're like, oh, actually, we might go to space. And they go to space in this movie in a different way than I expected in a janky rocket car. And like Ludacris is like rattling off all these like equations about and angles and degrees and momentum and all this stuff. And um, so they go to space in this station wagon with a rocket strapped to it. My friend Micah. Good listener, longtime listener of the podcast, good friend, uh, said that he loved it when it became an Afrofuturist movie at the end, when Tyrese and Ludacris go to space, which I mean, honestly, it is like that. They are kind of like, I think they say like, you know, two dudes from the ghetto, like, you know, going to outer space. But it, there is this kind of bittersweetness of like, just, I mean, in general, with this whole, whole like diversity of the franchise that it's really known for, of just having like these two black main characters be the ones who go to outer space is, and they, they do it in this janky car. And then at the end, like before they go back to earth, I mean, they say it kind of as a joke, but there's honestly, there's kind of a sadness to it and like a poignance where they're like, nobody's ever going to believe this. Like nobody's ever going to believe that we of all people went to outer space. Um, and I mean, obviously it, what they do is impossible. Um, uh, and there's a little bit of uh, cross media synergy because they're wearing these like vintage cosmonaut suits and they get picked up by the space station and they're like, why do they look like minions and, <laughs> minions and fast and furious, both universal pictures. Mm-hmm. Uh, also it starts off with the like vintage universal logo or like not vintage, but like the nineties. Cause I guess it's like in the nineties in the flashback scenes or whatever. Yeah. Oh yeah. It starts up in the past. So it goes there, but yeah. Yeah. Tokyo drift shows up a lot in this. You already kind of laid that out with some of the characters that are the rocket scientists that are the ones who like mm-hmm. make the space travel possible and stuff. But yeah, they have like Lucas black, little bow wow or some, just bow wow mr bow wow yeah formerly known as little bow wow and then the rocket scientist who i didn't see the movie that he's from yeah Um, yeah he's not actually been in that many movies i think he's mostly just like justin lynn's body mm -hmm. it seems like which i think that's another you know essential component this is justin lynn's return he was swayed away by the star trek franchise briefly Mm -hmm. but now he's back and i mean he's directed so many of these and um, it seems to have shaped what it is more than pretty much anybody else except for Vin Diesel. <laughs> mm-hmm. And also, I mean, another way Tokyo Drift shows up is that a lot of this movie also just like exists to bring back like this character who is in Tokyo Drift and dies and is like a fan favorite. And in like several different movies, they've like just started bringing back like the storyline of like his death and like, oh, it was mm-hmm. actually an assassination and it was by Jason Statham. And then, you know, so it becomes this whole thing. But so the movie kind of exists to bring that back. 
but now you find out it was a CIA like false flag. Yeah, he was, didn't die. He was just working undercover. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he couldn't. He couldn't tell you until now. You know, it's a need to know basis. It's very uh, twenty four. You mm-hmm. know, Tony Almeida coming back from the dead. Yeah, but um, there's also I guess I was talking earlier about some like moments where the franchise kind of reflects a little bit, and you mentioned earlier the autonomous car stampede, mm-hmm. and was that the last one the eighth one yeah gotcha that one honestly like pretty much the one moment i remember is the same as yours it's like this like stampede of like cars that are hacked that are all Mm self-driving and they like drive out of this parking garage and they start like all driving in the same direction at the same time but there's this moment in that that reminded me a lot of like the race where han dies in tokyo drift mainly that there's like this part where they're in like kind of a shopping district in the area of Japan they're in. You know, people are crossing this crosswalk at this big intersection and they're trying to drift and make this like left turn. And there's this moment where like the crowd just like kind of parts because they realize a race is coming and like the cars drift through it. And it like, it looks like, you know, the parting of the red sea or some kind of just like some real speed racer shit, big image like that. And when that stampede happens in the eighth one, there's this moment where like all the cars are like making like a similar turn. There's no people in the streets or anything, but the cars just like can't make the turn and they start like piling up. Mm-hmm. One thing about like just car stuff in general that's like weirder now is that especially when the movie first started or the franchise first started, um, you know, it was in what the 90s or was the very early 2000s? Two, 2001. But, you know, I mean, it's about, like, car culture and stuff like that um, and people who do all their custom cars and, and all these things and people who are kind of usually lower class, but, you know, what, like, their activity, what they invest in, what their livelihood is like, these cars. And so this is the thing that they put a lot of money into, put a lot of time into and everything like that. But it's, like, weird for these movies with, like, moments like autonomous cars and stuff like that to like start thinking about the way like it sounds so stupid but like the meaning of a car has changed no i mean absolutely it's not it's not stupid at all i think it's like because what is a car you know it's this assemblage of parts (laughs) yeah and what those parts are really has changed a lot over time Mm -hmm. well the parts but also like I don't know. People usually think of like the car as like a symbol for like freedom and stuff like, Oh, you know, you can drive anywhere you want in that thing. That's Mm -hmm. how cars were sold for a very long time, or at least in like America where there's not a lot of public mass transit. Yeah. Um, and so that's kind of like what the car means is like a little bit of like independence. I got this myself. I can take myself anywhere in this society that does not care about transporting Mm me. Yeah. I mean, I think that, um, I mean, obviously, Fast and Furious, you know, everyone points this out that the first movie is such a, like, apparent kind of copy of Point Break, you know, about this criminal and this cop, and the cop goes undercover and is drawn to this adrenaline-heavy outsider lifestyle and sort of has to wrestle with the feelings he develops for the people in this world, um... And his own attraction to that lifestyle and these sort of obligations that he has made. And like Point Break, it's a movie that's ultimately about people who do crimes so they do not have to be subject to 
sort of the normal stipulations of like living in capitalist American society. I mean, the reason why the guys in Point Break become bank robbers is because they're surfers who do not want to abide by a sort of nine to five kind of schedule. You know, they want to be autonomous and fund this carefree lifestyle. And this is really the only way that they can find to do that. And similarly, you know, in Fast and Furious, they're like stealing DVD players to just kind of survive, but also to like pay for their cars for expensive parts for modifications, Mm -hmm. um, which then are allow them to do more crimes to do bigger scale stuff. And so it's just this kind of repeating cycle. And I don't know. It's just I guess the contradiction of Fast and Furious is that it's been so it was so much about sort of existing outside of the law and outside of the demands of like conventional society but then it's become very much about like these people have become the tools of the state and and sort of enabling and and supporting what they were initially like opposed to Mm -hmm. Um, but it's also i think become this kind of like devil's bargain of like they're constantly like entrapped like oh you have to do this to like get immunity or like you know you don't want to go to prison for a thousand years so like you're gonna be our operative because you're really good at driving cars Mm -hmm. and there's a lot of like moments where they'll run into people who are you know maybe in like their former like kind of like criminal like activity like Mm -hmm. click or network and now that they're playing on the other side of something like that the interactions are always kind of friendly but it's just like yeah it's like a net, it's it's business. A, yeah, it's literally networking and everybody's like, well, I understand why you're working for the other side now, you know? Yeah, it's, exactly. It's like these are just people who like have chosen to try to exist off the grid. And really the only ways they can do that are by like going deep cover black site mode or like breaking the law. Um, yeah. And and at a certain point of like dissociation from like having a like social security card or something or really existing as a person like those two things really because I mean at a certain level of like being the law being a spy there are no laws and you exist mm-hmm. outside of whatever people are told to do or, or expected to do so there is no difference really at some point so one thing. You know, over the course of the movies, they start integrating all these different, like, genres. And we've, you were kind of talking about how they, like, kind of work for, like, the government, New World Order, whatever. Um, But also, I mean, as the movies kind of continue, like, and kind of start incorporating more superhero action and more superheroic type, like, scale and stuff. Like, this was kind of the first one of these that felt like, it felt like the Avengers kind of to me. Yeah, I mean, there is, you know, very much a, like, getting everybody back together sort of feeling to it, like, real team up. And they have this hidden sort of base um, Mm -hmm. and all of that. And it is such, yeah, it's really, like, pulling together all these separate movies because you have... Charlize Theron from the eighth one and Helen Mirren, who was in the eighth one and Hobbs and Shaw. And then you have Jason Statham show up in a mid credit sequence. You don't have the rock, uh, but you know, you ha- it's just really bringing together this whole franchise into a mm-hmm. kind of cinematic universe. And, but also it's like, it's a globe trotting. Yeah. And also one thing that you pointed out before I saw it is that this is like another modern movie where like, there is just this all powerful, object and it's just you just know the object is everybody's after it 
we got to find the two halves and put them together the infinity stone horcrux shit yeah and it's like this like completely fictional but also like kind of not even really explained just a really pure idea of like that shit everybody wants it and it just creates yeah. this reason for there to be like 20 characters all doing something and you just know oh yeah. well it's going toward them getting that thing pure MacGuffin, and then it just always comes to like something downloading or uploading and it gets to like 98 percent, and then they shut it down yeah there's a lot of drama in like movies like that with like an uploading so there's always like a little rainbow wheel a little <laughs> a little like why isn't it finishing just a lot of looking at like tough book screens mm-hmm. um but it's interesting with you know talking about absorbing different genres just like i mean obviously now this series has had two of the foremost ever uh i mean just pro wrestlers in general but wrestlers turned to actors the rock and now john cena obviously the rock and vin diesel had their kind of infamous feud a lot of people were making fun of vin diesel on twitter recently because it was said that vin diesel had argued with the rock about the quality of his acting and saying that he needed to level his acting up and everybody's like oh like vin diesel is like well i guess you know vin diesel's the second worst actor in the world so like he can still tell the rock that or whatever which i you know i just totally disagree with i mean you can go back to our other vin diesel episode but i think first of all a theater kid at heart but it's about a kind of charisma and presence and like the quality of his voice and sometimes not necessarily like acclaimed, critically respectable acting style. Uh, it's star study shit. I don't know what's so hard to see about that, but mm. well, it's like that's bad. But Nick Cage is like ironically good now. Yeah, so, like that. Yeah, kind of thing. it's very double standard. What's accepted and what's not. I think what it is maybe is just that like people are like they they respect Nicolas Cage because they're like, oh, he'll just do anything. He brings 110% to even the shittiest movie, whereas Vin Diesel is like he's making these franchise movies, but he does it in a like Daniel Day-Lewis way of like being very selective about his roles and being like, you know, this is Riddick, this is Xander Cage, this is Dom. You know, these are all of my characters. Well, it's a little bit of like a it's a bit of like a Stallone style yeah like embodiment exactly it's like he is known for these characters but it's a bit but you know he's a D fanatic and it's a bit like kind of having a sort of these stock role-playing characters that you go to and you return to their narratives over time i think a little bit but it just you know i think he takes these movies very seriously because of how he is as an artist and coming from this like more theater in indie background a little bit and it's like new york art scene background you know yes he's making these movies but he still approaches them with that mindset i think so people are like oh he's just a idiot he's a buffoon why is he taking it seriously just treat it like a job dude whatever but the rock but now you have john cena it's really interesting because i actually felt like john cena had a little bit less to do in the movie than I kind of expected. I mean, a lot of it is sort of reliant on the like flashbacks of them as teens and building his character and integrating him into the universe. But sometimes he doesn't say a lot. It's just kind of him mugging and his chin. But that is a he is very good at that. It's a very effective performance. But it was also particularly striking to me for two reasons. One, there's this whole sort of thing in the movie about like, I don't know, sort of like authenticity, I guess, of like... Just like John Cena, you know, just like being this like, there was just something about like, it felt like the movie was very much, I guess just in how it's about like that tension we were talking about between 
mechanical and digital like it feels very much about like authenticity sometimes and it felt like john cena was sort of brought into like sort of probe at like vin diesel Mm -hmm. as the muscle car undershirt wearing guy you know he's like the real deal but i felt like john cena was kind of pushing back at that of being like no you like you're just like me like you know you're not any different you're just sort of this like guy doing a job like you're not really saving anybody or being a hero so that was interesting, John Cena being the person to raise questions about authenticity, but being sort of a wrestler. Uh, yeah, I can't believe I said sort of a wrestler, mm-hmm. being literally a wrestler. Also, that's kind of this, I mean, um, but like also, a new character as well. Yeah, well, also, yeah, being being a wrestler turned actor is another kind of one of those, like, like inauthentic things. He is just somebody who's just, like, a consummate face, he, you know, hero, good guy, the franchise. Vince McMahon will never let him do a heel turn. And I, as far as I can think in movies I've seen him in, I don't feel like he's ever been villainous. Uh, in in that movie Bumblebee, he played like oh. the army guy who's mad at the robot and is like being commanded around to go kill. He's like the leader of like the death squad. But, Damn the robot death squad. But I think he ends up, he's like, maybe we shouldn't kill this thing or like, yeah, why isn't it dead yet? Like, I don't know. Yeah, and I mean, obviously he's, you know, like, redeemed at the end of this movie, but I was like, this is like his heel turn, you know, it's cool to see him, like, you know, I mean, his hair is different too, you know, he's got the floppy kind of hair more than like his normal spiked up hair, so he's got for sure. He's got he's got a different vibe going a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um and so much of the movie is just his like his face just like reacting. It's like pouting, it's like angry. Yeah. It's like him, it's like somebody says something about him and then you just see him just like just express, you know. His face just like taking up a lot of the screen space, I feel like. Mm-hmm. But also, I mean, I think he like I think wrestlers are really great at that. They're really great yeah. at just like standing still letting an audience react to something and just like holding like a really like a tense expression for a long period of time you know yeah i mean that's so much of the thing of like john cena of like even though he has been a epitome of a baby face for a lot of his career i mean he is somebody who's been like widely like sort of hated by a lot of fans just because he was so pushed by the company and like the company man mm-hmm. um so there are a lot of times like you watch him and he's basically like a comic dealing with hecklers and you know there are people giving thumbs down booing him and he's just got to set you know he says stuff and just kind of has to like sit in that contempt um and keep doing him and like you know he sort of he doesn't like he's you know he's not like a heel who's like this is the worst town i've ever been in you fucking ingrates but he's just he's play he's playing with everybody and kind of ribbing them in a sort of like class clown kind of way um i've honestly i've always wanted him in a movie about like massachusetts like brothers with like matt damon and like mark Wahlberg. Matt, Matt Damon and John Cena do kind of, they could pull off a yeah. brother thing, I think. Or at least cousins. You yeah, know? just face-wise, they could do it. Yeah, they've got it. I mean, they're just just like white bread American boys, but they've got that. I mean, they've got, you know, being Massachusetts, they've got a little bit of that kind of like Northeast ethnic whiteness, just a little shade of that, but still pretty flat. <laughs> um, yeah. And big boys also. Definitely. But yeah, I mean, well, so the movie starts off with him playing this like villain, but then by the end of it, 
you just like it tells you it shows you all this family relationship information yeah and makes fun of him being in the family but also there's like a line about them being like i didn't know the family had like a, a nordic strain in it or they make some joke about his skin My God, being white. It's so weird yeah it's like i don't know it's kind of weird it's like on the one hand it's like cool that they like don't really try to explain you know this family makeup and like is is he half brother whatever like it doesn't matter but it is it, it is like weirder to make this like crack than i think to say to you know it would be better to just say nothing and it was like i was with my friend and we were just kind of like cracking up like what the fuck like why did they say that um but uh yeah i don't know he's just uh what a fucking chin yeah the chin the jawline cheekbones just doing work like he's got like that it's like he's got like the bj blaskowicz face he really does wow just like that really duke nukem face exactly yeah just like really strong buff i guess what like aryan is like the like yeah. ideal that's classified under i don't really know what to call it but it's like that strong european man or a strong european white man well, two things. It's like, I mean, Fast and Furious has become, you were, to your point about like the Avengers, it feeling like the Avengers, it, it does have like increasingly sometimes that like expendables feeling of like, mm-hmm. we need to get all these great action stars. Um, but also I've just increasingly noticed that it has a very like weird over the last few movies, this like ironic dark sense of humor where like violence is often like very like joked about, like in the mid credit sequence, Jason Statham, who you hasn't been in the movie previously is like boxing and he's like hitting a punching bag and then he opens it up and there's like a dude inside that he's been beating the shit out of. Um, and there's this like FBI agent who across a couple of the movies and like each movie he gets his like nose broken and you see him in this movie and his nose is just like so like beyond Owen Wilson, like curved, weird, fucked up. Mm-hmm. And they're, so they're just making this joke about this dude getting his face like bashed in yeah. across all the movies. And I don't know, it's not something that I have like a problem with, but I'm like, it's a very weird tone that on the one hand, this movie and these movies are so emotional and sincere and like melodramatic, but they also have this like very like almost kind of Tarantino-esque violent sense of humor sometimes, Mm -hmm. at least increasingly. I felt like Hobbs and Shaw had a lot of that. Mm -hmm. Well, it definitely leaned into it, but that's like, you know, it's like The Rock and Jason Statham are mad at each other. So you just... The Guy Ritchie kind of Jason Statham sort of Mm -hmm. vibe a little bit, I feel like. Yeah. There's another moment in one of the more recent movies were like i don't remember which one but like the rock has like a broken arm and he's in a cast in the hospital and then there's this whole like like all the the people on the team are like fighting all in the city where this hospital is and it's just like a war zone and so then he just like stands up and flexes his arm out of a cast and says like daddy's gotta go to work or just something like that yeah that is insane yeah there are a lot of i feel like increasingly sort of like meme moments in these movies which is maybe just another thing that's just like in the water of blockbusters these days but um it it feels like there's some of those especially with the rock i felt like which i think that's just like his like mo as a performer and i feel like he tries to put that in a lot of his movies yeah things that the rock would say you know the rock is just he's just a crazy hard worker and he just like I don't know. He just always has these like catchphrases and just like, yeah. just like on his Instagram where he's like, 
just talking about just like suck it up go to daddy's work. kicking ass or something yeah, like that or you like know. you know rents due or it's just i don't know some like dumb like tough guy repost <laughs> shit yeah <laughs> the rock is just like one of those like weird uh like man like advice instagram you know like just like rich guy flex accounts yeah <laughs> or i mean oh, but he's God. also one of those guys it's like similar to, i mean again to like sylvester stallone or something like that where it's the, one of these like performers who comes with this whole backstory of like well stallone you know couldn't get work so he like you know he wrote a role for himself with rocky or like the rock it's like mm -hmm. he has a production company called like seven bucks because he has this there's this legend of him going to la with like seven dollars in his pocket you know yeah i were like i remember him posting once on instagram about like how snickers was like his workout fuel because when he was like a kid that was like all he could afford like on his way to the gym or something but i'm pretty sure it would probably have a like sponsored by snickers in there and like you know i it's just <laughs> the myth i mean the constant myth making i mean the young rock is you know a perfect example yeah um, but he is just constantly in the narrative of or in the business of like trying to construct and sell a very specific narrative about himself yeah. um which is just another thing that's interesting comparing john cena and the rock as actors is that john cena has face all the time as a wrestler now making his heel turn as an actor rock is total opposite he started as a vicious venomous heel who said horrible nasty things yes yeah. uh and then he became more of a face because he was just such a fan favorite but then you know like and i mean that's he's definitely played ro acting roles more like that and more dramatic roles are just more like gritty action roles but that's his sort of self-produced sort of image now is this like family friendly guy like this dad mm -hmm. surrogate dad um who who whips you into shape um, but is also like funny and charming, uh, and, but knows how to make fun of himself too or whatever. Yeah. And he has, a, he's one of the, he's in the class of like celebrity with like a liquor brand now too. It's always God. the, the real like personality, like Matthew McConaughey, Ryan well, Speaking Reynolds. of Ryan. Yeah. Speaking of Ryan Reynolds, I recently saw a truck with like his tequila or whatever brand on it. And so it was just Ryan Reynolds just like sitting on a chair like in my on my block, like outside of a liquor store. And I was like, Ryan Reynolds, get the fuck out of my neighborhood. Yeah. Go I'll, home. I don't really want to have that, but I mean I can review I'm the, glad I, they I did can, not bring uh, him back. Yeah. Well he was just like some like HR person or something like that for like whatever government agency is like the one in the movies. But but yeah, I mean I will say the Rock's tequila he sold his mm -hmm. name and likeness to a company that makes good tequila. So same with Matthew McConaughey. I've had the Jericho, the Chris Jericho champagne. Did not enjoy it personally. It tasted like pee pee. Yeah. Uh, a little bit of the bubbly. Goodness. I wonder who the next wrestler in Fast and Furious would be. I mean, people, Dave Bautista, like whatever, obvious choice. Yeah. Uh, but I don't know. Honestly, they put like Sasha Banks. Oh yeah, you know, She's get, a, like, get a woman in there. Like that would be sick. Well, there were a bunch of wrestlers in like the Hobbs and Shaw movie, which oh funny. yeah, we were right. kind of talking about the way like The Rock has like he was like an actor in these movies, and then I guess has like disagreements with like Vin Diesel, and then 
he like produced that one offshoot that he's in. So it has a bit of a different feel, but there's a bunch of like wrestlers that are like from in like the rocks, like hometown. And when, you know, Hobbs and Shaw stop fighting and they unite, they like have their last stand at the rocks, like hometown with all of his like family. Yeah. So you've got Roman Reigns in there. Mm -hmm. Who's his real life cousin from a legendary Samoan wrestling family. But it's very weird that that's like that Hobbs and Shaw of all movies is like the one where the rock has really like leaned into or discussed his like Samoan sort of Pacific Islander like heritage. Like that's not that much of a facet of most of his other big movies. He's just like, I mean, it's the same kind of thing of like, you know, back in the day we cast like Arnold Schwarzenegger or Jean-Claude Van Damme as this dad, like, it's me. I mean, it's honestly a little bit like having John Cena and Vin Diesel be brothers where sometimes it's like this sort of mixed family and they don't really explain it. Um, and Dwayne Johnson a lot of times has like seemingly like no ethnic background. I feel like in a lot of his roles, he's just sort of like in a very Vin Diesel way, just like the one world kind of multicultural ethnically ambiguous global citizen so i don't know but hobbs and shaw is like the one that really gets into his like heritage and identity specifically and it's just like it's curious like why is that why was that his like personal passion project i don't know um who can say yeah i don't know what he's cooking i mean i can smell it but couldn't tell you what it is i don't know i mean i hope he's cooking some oh jungle cruise is what he's cooking <laughs> i mean i'm you know you got how may Jaime Colette Seurat in there of uh, the commuter nonstop, the shallows. The so commuter. I'm in it. I'm in it. Orphan, that. House of Wax. Mm-hmm. I'm down. Yeah. Even though it's some Disney, Dwayne Johnson bullshit. Also, Emily Blunt. I, I like my girl Emily. I'd smoke a blunt with her. It's a theme park adaptation it is damn maybe theme park cinema episode three's got to drop revenge of the jungle cruise ships Mm -hmm. but i mean he's got that if it's anything like rampage you know it's a smash oh wow smash it up like rampage beat it up like rampage uh two chains should be in fast and furious honestly more rappers i think yeah because they got they got cardi b now but i just i want to see i would like her spinoff movie well, that's the that's interesting. Also, they've got this. Cardi B is like hosting WWE SummerSlam coming up in August. Her song "Up" is like the theme for SummerSlam. Oh my god! I feel like, and you know, they had Bad Bunny in, and I feel like Bad Bunny would also be in a Fast and Furious movie, like one hundred and ten percent, if if they wanted him to. Because just like you look at the soundtracks, and I mean, they've evolved a lot over twenty years, but they have always been this sort of like whatever the sort of genre bending hybrid sound of that moment is, from like new metal to like reggaeton influenced trap um, mm-hmm. and Latin trap, and and just sort of like world pop edm shit i think that's kind of like an under discussed part of the like diversity of the movie sometimes is like that em- emphasis on like musical genre diversity and having artists from like whatever regions are in the movie you know they usually kind of spotlight artists from those places sometimes mm-hmm. yeah i don't really have anything else to say i don't think yeah we you know sometimes you got to go fast and then sometimes you got to slow down yeah uh, so I think it's time to put it back pull in the it into the home stretch. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> pull down the door, wipe it off. Mm-hmm. Fast 10. We'll be back in the driver's seat. Yeah.
I just like the the eighth one. They had that little title thing where they did F eight, and it was like fate. Mm-hmm. But they didn't actually spell it F eight, you know. So they were like, we got to make up for it. Yeah, but it's kind of a, like you know, I'm disappointed that so far it doesn't seem like Matrix Four is going to be like the Matrix with a four instead of an A. Similarly, they missed out on Transformers. They missed opportunity there. Totally yeah. blew the blew the bag. What I'm saying is that F ten, you could do like fast 10 your seat belts it's like oh my god there's that the i mean idea. there's like fx or like fast but Ooh, with an x instead of fx would be good or fast with an x instead of a a or like or it could be like fast x furious or like ffx and then it's just whoa that's like final fantasy 10 but it's like also a crossover with like SSX and it has snowboarding. Oh, sure. Yeah. That can also I mean, that's it. the thing about, I mean, I'm honestly at this point, I'm just excited for triple X four because I just need more of that general extreme sports flavor. Mm-hmm. And I'm also excited to see more team ups between Vin Diesel and ice cube. So where's that one at? Bring it, bring it to me, bring yeah. it and give me Riddick while you're at it too. A lot of demands. I'll be honest. Yeah, I've got a lot. I mean, they're all working according to Vin Diesel's Instagram. It's all happening. Hannibal. We need Hannibal. The streets need the Hannibal Punic Wars movie. Vin Diesel's dream project. Mm -hmm. But yeah, so we'll probably be here when that happens. I don't know. Unless it gets delayed for another multitude of reasons. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, Seth, where can you be found? You can find me on Twitter at asap sunscreen the podcast is hotbox the cinema on twitter hotbox the cinema at gmail if you have any fan mail any any fast and furious thoughts or anything yeah. like that if you want to tell us like if you could see any rapper or any wrestler in a fast and furious movie give us your thoughts there give you us go. your fan casting your stunt casting yeah, now you're thinking like a youtuber you're like putting up a comment question yeah it's a prompt tweet it's a quote tweet prompt you're baiting people i'm fishing yeah but where can people find you nadine uh i'm on twitter as always at trillmore girls we're also instagram at hotbox the cinema mm-hmm. you know we post some memes and silly pictures yeah. when episodes drop and and yeah we're on the big cartel the merch shop yeah the large cartel hotboxcinema.bigcartel.com we just had a new sticker drop um we have a couple of different variants the master of reality yeah, master of theory uh, variant there's like an anti-piracy one yeah you wouldn't listen to a podcast and then we've got the new weed order <laughs> sticker we got the new world order yeah uh hot box the cinema font variant so mm-hmm. a lot of just it's good looking if you want to let people know you listen to the podcast but also you know about this other thing yeah great stickers for that i mean it's like i love a t-shirt that mashes up you know like the simpsons and like jackass or whatever or yeah. a godfather mario shirt or it's like like star wars but it looks like van gogh you know stewie and scarface or or the thomas can oh my god i would love to have one of the like thomas kincaid like justice league paintings or the like thomas kincaid baby yoda paintings um but you know you love a you know you love a cross media synergy synthesis promotional so if you like pop culture and want to tell people that you understand references get our stickers put them out throw them up they're good for that 
Yeah. But I guess until next time, keep on toking.
licks looking slick at all times when I'm flipping. Bar sipping, car dipping, Grant Wood grain gripping. Still tipping on, tipping on, still tipping on, Nintendo, GameCube, 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 Nintendo, up, creased up, stand dressed to impress. Big boss, Bill Bucker under my Michelin S. Oh, Gucci shades up on my braids when I escalate. When I'm riding spree wheel, sliding like a FF escapade. I got it made, the big boss of the north. Ain't shit change, I still represent with your house. Huh? I'm gripping, catch me lying, switching with the paint dripping. Turn your neck and your day ain't missing. Me and Slim, we ain't tripping. I'm figure flipping and sir sipping. Like do or die, I'm pole pimping. Car stop, rims keep spinning. I'm flipping, drop with invisible tops. Hoes bop with my drop, step out. I'm shaking the block with 418s. Candy green with 11 screens. My gasoline, I'll wait supreme. Got Dodo the brand with a pain of lean. It tastes grinding to be a king. It tastes grinding to be a king. First round drop piece coming. Who is Mike Jones coming? Slap shining with the grill and warming, slap shining with the grill and warming. I'm Mike Jones, Ooh. Mike Jones, the one and only. You can't clone me, got a lot of haters and a lot of homies. Some friends and some phonies. Back then, hoes didn't want me. Now I'm hot, hoes all on me. Back then, hoes didn't want me. Now I'm hot, hoes all on me. Back then, hoes didn't want me. Now I'm hot, hoes all on me. Back then, hoes didn't want me. Now I'm hot, hoes all on me. Back then, hoes didn't want me. Now I'm hot, hoes all on me. Back then, hoes didn't want me.
some type of way. Make you feel some type of way. First you wanna fuck me, no, you feel some type of way. Like I'm living single, I'm feeling cautious. I ain't 
Sometimes the past 